Okay, praise the Lord. Thank you guys so much for uh, coming out today. We welcome you. If you're here for the first time, you're a special guest. Before we get into announcements, I want to excuse the children to their um, Sunday school class. Okay, praise God. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you're here for the first time, you're a special guest. If you could please fill out, I don't know why they're static, but if you could please uh, fill out a Newcomer Connect card, uh, you can find one in the back. Please grab one, fill it out, drop it off in the black box. And that's a very easy way for us to stay in touch. If you're joining us online, you could find the same card on our website. Go to our homepage. It says new here on the top. Click on that. You'll see an e-connect card. Fill that out, and it's the same thing. Just a few announcements um, before we get into the word. First, uh, uh, community groups. Community groups are a great way for people to get to know one another. It's probably the best way to get connected more intimately, uh, but we have some different ones throughout the week at different times. But if you're interested, please uh, fill out on your Connect card, I'm interested. Uh, turn it in and we will hook you up uh, right away. Um, it's a place where we gather in people's homes to study the Bible and do life on life together. So again, I encourage you, please, if you haven't gone to community group yet, it is by far the best way to get connected and to get more involved in church. Okay, next announcement is membership class. Uh, we're excited to have our membership class. We have this uh, every year, twice a year. Our next one is coming up on March 20th. It's going to be from 1.15 to 5.30 p.m. I know that sounds a little long, but we used to have it over two weeks. So now we're squishing it into one. But it's going to be on Sunday right after service at the church loft. It's a few blocks away. Uh, but this is basically a great way to find out more about the church. We're not going to, like, force you to become a member if you come in. <laughs> it's not like, you know, Hotel California where you can never leave. It's not like that. But it is just simply a way, I'm glad you like that reference, Helen, praise God. <laughs> but I'm glad um, uh, that we're going to be able to convey who we are. So please, come on out. It's just a way to find out who we are, uh, our mission, our vision, our ministries, uh, what we believe. We go pretty in-depth into what we believe. But please come on out, and it's the quickest way to find out who we are and whether you want to join. So... Again, no obligation whatsoever, uh, but if you want to come out, fill out this green mint-colored sign-up card. Fill it out, turn it, off, uh, turn it into the black box in the back, or you're going to get an email if you're on our email list. If you're not on our email list, fill out the Connect card. I know there's a lot of directions here. Okay, membership class coming up. Okay, next announcement is ministry teams. These are teams in the church, uh, just a very simple way to get involved by serving. So we have a few different ones we're taking volunteers for. Uh, the children's ministry, Promised Land. We have here Praise and Worship. If you want to be right up here, singing alongside these people here, uh, playing an instrument. Uh, there are tryouts for that. Um, cross Media, audio, video in the back. Um, and then we have Welcoming. So please, if you want to join any of these teams, then fill out this card. Uh, we even have Anywhere Needed. So this is for the brave souls. It's like, dude, put me anywhere, right? <laughs> Next week you're going to be preaching. No, I'm just kidding. But, but it's like, put me anywhere, right? And then please, uh, if you si fill this out, uh, turn it in, then we will put you anywhere. So please check that. Um, and we are going to be taking sign-ups right up until when? I think this is the last Sunday. Yeah, last Sunday to sign up. By the way, if you're joining us online, you could do the same thing online. Go to our website, look for ministry teams. You can just search it. Same thing. You'll see the e-form. Okay, and then last announcement is guest chef. Uh, we already had it, so you can join us for the next one. But I want to thank all the volunteers who came on out. It was a wonderful time at the community shelter. Uh, we basically brought dinner and served dinner to about 60 or so residents uh, at the shelter. And it is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. So thank you for all, all who are involved. Okay, praise God. Open up your Bibles to Matthew 4, 19, and then Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So Matthew 4, 19, and then Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And we're going to get right into the Word. If you're joining us here in person, you'll see it up on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, it'll be up on your TV screen or whatever you're using. Okay, Matthew 4, 19, and then Matthew 28. This is God's word. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you and we thank you and we thank you for your presence that is with your church at all times. We just read it. I will be with you always to the end of the age. And so thank you, God. And you are not just with us so that we can hang out, but Lord Jesus, you are with us so that you can lead us towards your purposes here on this, on this earth. And so, Lord God, we ask that. We ask that you would, Father, work through this church. In fact, that you would work through all the churches around the world. And on this Sunday, Lord God, we do want to remember those who are hurting those who are in the body of Christ who are hurting, especially in Ukraine. And so we want to lift up the believers there. And in fact, we want to lift up all those who are suffering, not only believers. But Lord Jesus, you warned us and you told us that these things will happen. And they will actually happen in more intensity and frequency as your return draws near. And so we shouldn't be surprised, and yet we are still grieving. That Father, that there is war in this world. And so Lord God, please bring it to an end. You are the Prince of Peace. Father God, you promise that when your kingdom finally is established, you will cause people to beat their swords into plows. And that you will, Father God, demolish all the things that will cause war. And that we will finally have peace. So Lord God, we wait for that day. We hope in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, for the last two months, you know, if you've been coming out, we've been looking at the theme for this year, which is Be the Church. It is right there on your bulletin, and it'll be there all year long, so you're going to remember it all year. But we've looked at how to be the church. We've looked at the uniqueness of the church. What I mean by that is the church is God's plan A for your life and mine and for everything in the world that he's doing, and there is no plan B. And so that's what I mean. There is no plan B. Think about that. It is God's plan A for everything, and there is no plan B. So the uniqueness of the church. We've also looked at the marks of a true church. See, we can only be the church if we know what it is, right? And so what are the marks of a true church? If you're looking for a church right now, maybe you're just visiting for the first time, how do you know if this is a good church? Because I'm going to tell you now. <laughs> but how do you know, right? How do you identify a good church? Well, from Jesus' own words, from the teachings in the New Testament, we know there are some marks. Here are three, devotion to Christ and his word, devotion to one another, and then finally devotion to being witnesses to the lost. So if you go to a church and see those things actively being engaged in, then you know you found a true church. So hopefully all of this sounds very familiar by now. And today we're going to wrap up this series, and we're going to actually extend it to the next Sunday as well. But we're going to look at the core mission of the church. So we've looked at the uniqueness of the church, the true marks of the church. Now we're going to look at the core mission of the church. And some of you guys might be wondering, uh, what are you talking about, Roy? I thought you already covered that. Didn't we already talk about being devoted to Christ and to one another and to being witnesses? And yes, we did. But being devoted is not so much an activity, right? That, that's not so much what we're doing. Yes, it involves some activity, but those are more characteristics, being devoted to Christ, being devoted to one another and to the laws. These are characteristics. Now, these are things that the church will be doing as well, but this is more who we are, right? The example that I think of is, is kind of like Toyota. You know, my family, we like Toyota cars. They don't break down. But Toyota is marked by excellence and innovation. Okay, you know that if you've driven it. Yeah, I, I love Toyotas. But those are things that they are, right? But that's not necessarily what they do. They're not doing excellence. So then what do they do? They make cars, right? They make cars. So today I want to talk about what does the church do? So we looked at what the church is, but what is it that we do, right? What do we do for church? What do we do at church? Well, I suppose you can say it this way. What is it that the church makes? Toyota makes cars. What do churches make? Well, the answer is the church makes disciples. We make disciples. That is the core mission of the church. That is the primary activity of the church. 
as we're being devoted to Christ, as we're loving one another, devoted to one another, as we're being witnesses to the lost, as we're doing all of that, we're going to always be keeping our eye on this. We're making disciples. We're going to be busy about making disciples. So whatever else we do, if we fail in doing that, then we failed. We have failed our mission. You know, back in 2007, there was this eye-opening study that came out by Willow Creek Church. You might have read it or heard about it. But Willow Creek Church was the largest and most influential church in America at that time, led by Bill Hybels. Most of you guys know that church. Well, anyway, they did this multi-year-long study that they conducted, conducted on their own church, and they called it the Reveal Study. And true to its name, it revealed a lot, right? But it was a study that took three years. They surveyed 6,000 people who attended Willow Creek. They surveyed 300 people who had actually left the church. They conducted 5,000 additional surveys on their church. They did more than 120 in-depth interviews with their church members. So this was serious, right? They're really trying to examine something in their church. And basically what they're trying to understand is how are we doing as a church, right? How are we helping people grow in their faith? And this is what they found. They found that after three decades of doing ministry, their church had been effective in basically reaching those who are interested in Christianity. So they were doing pretty good at that. And they were good at helping new believers get started in their new Christian life. So they were pretty good at that. But, and this is devastating, but they concluded, we have not been making disciples. So it's like, wow, it's kind of like a gut punch. Really? Willow Creek, the most influential church, the biggest church in America at that time, they were not making disciples. So in other words, they had a lot of breath, but very little depth. So that's what they learned. And they published these findings for the whole world to see. And so I really admired their brutal honesty. It's like, wow, that took some courage. But what they discovered was discouraging. So think about that. One of the most influential churches in the world with more resources, more programs than almost any other church they basically confessed after 30 years of being dedicated to ministry, we made no disciples. We're not making disciples. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is not to criticize them. Okay, That's not my intention. But I'm pointing it out to show us that even the most influential, resourceful, dedicated churches, okay, churches that are doing way more than we are, they can miss the entire mission. Okay, they missed it. And so as I talk about this today and next week, I'm approaching this with a lot of humility. Okay, I'm not saying that we have this right. There's no guarantee that we're going to get it right unless we keep our eye on the ball. And so we need to be focused about the mission. And that mission is Jesus' great commission. So his final command to the church before going to heaven was, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I love Jesus. People think Jesus is so mysterious and like, woo, you know. But he's very clear. He's very just straightforward. If you were to read the Gospels with an open mind. So when he said that, this is not hard to understand. It is actually very simple, very clear. He narrowed down everything we're supposed to do to one thing. Again, if you do everything else but miss this, you missed it. But he focused it all the way down to one thing. Make disciples of all nations. See, before he went up to heaven, he didn't tell the church, go build schools. He didn't say fight injustice. He didn't say go change the culture. Those things are all good things. They very well can happen as the church begins to do ministry. But there's only one thing he commissioned the entire church to do, his church around the world. Go. Go into all the nations and make disciples. So is that clear? I don't, I don't know how clear Jesus could have been. This is the one thing he's told us to do. So today, rather than just assume everyone already understands this, everyone even desires this, what I want to do is I want to just start with some basic questions, okay? I don't just come here assuming that you guys want to do this or you understand this. So I want to look at these questions. Discipleship, okay, why do it? Another question is discipleship, what is it? And then finally, discipleship, how to do it? And the first one I realize it's so big that we're going to just cover it today and we'll finish it next week, the next two next week. But today I want to look at discipleship. Why do it? Okay, maybe you guys grew up in the church. You've heard it many times, but there isn't a lot of, I don't know, encouragement or conviction to do it. 
But why? Why do we do this? Why do we need to be disciples and make disciples? Why do we need to engage in discipleship at all? Well, today I want to look at five reasons. So you can write them down, but five reasons that I believe we must engage in discipleship. Okay, five reasons. Let's get into it. But first, Christianity without discipleship is the greatest missed opportunity in the world. Okay, simply put, you have missed the greatest opportunity of your life. No, no questions asked. Now imagine, okay, going back to Matthew 28, imagine being one of Jesus' disciples, and now you're standing on that day when Jesus gave the Great Commission. No one has ever heard these words uttered ever before. Maybe it was a cool day, maybe there was a gentle breeze, but you're waiting for Jesus on this mountain in Galilee. He comes, okay, he's a few yards away, and it's almost like a dream, right? You can't imagine, you can't, you can't believe your eyes. I saw you being brutally tortured and murdered a short time ago, and now you're standing in front of us? And by the way, this wasn't the first appearance. He had appeared a few times before. But it's like a dream. I can't believe you're standing in front of us and you're talking to us. And then he opens his mouth and he says these words, and they've been repeated ever since. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And so imagine that scene, right? You heard these words, but a little bit before that, Matthew says something very interesting. But in his gospel, he said in verse 17, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but then some doubted. Yeah, I always read that, and I'm fascinated by that. I said, wow, even after Jesus' death and resurrection, they're doubting, right? And whenever I read that in the past, the normal way I understood it is, oh, they doubted in Jesus. They weren't really sure if this is really Jesus. Maybe this is somebody else, an imposter, maybe a ghost. So I always thought maybe this was them doubting Jesus. And I think that's okay. You can see it that way. But as I studied it more, as I heard other uh, pastors preaching on this, I began to see a different view. But here's a different way to understand this verse. But here's another way. I don't think they necessarily doubted in Jesus, but I think they doubted themselves. They doubted, right? They doubted in themselves. What do I mean? Maybe they were doubting that they could actually be Jesus' disciple. I saw you get tortured and murdered on a cross. And now you're here, and I don't know, maybe you are really here, but oh, gosh, can I follow you? I mean, what are you going to call us to do? And so they were doubting, maybe I can't be your disciple. Maybe I can't go do this into all the nations and make disciples. So maybe they were doubting. They were doubting themselves. And that word there, doubt, in the Greek, it literally means to waver, okay, going back and forth. It means to have a divided mind. Okay, one day you're thinking this thing, oh, next day you're thinking something else. Oh, no, never mind. Oh, this, this, this. So you're divided. This is what doubting means. So they were going back and forth. They were divided in their mind. Maybe I can be Jesus' Jesus' disciple. Oh, maybe I can't. Maybe I can't. Maybe I can't. They were doubting his commission. Maybe I can do, maybe I can't. Maybe I, so they were doubting. And so let's suppose in that doubt, they decided, you know what, Jesus, I believe in you, but I just can't do it. Okay, all this stuff about being disciples and making disciples, that's not for me. Okay, what's going to happen to them? Okay, what, what's going to happen? Well, if you fast forward to the book of Acts now, as all these glorious things began to unfold, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, the birth of the church, this amazing community now on the earth, people loving one another intensely, people giving of their possessions, miraculous power, okay, testimonies going out of people getting saved day by day. You're not going to be a part of any of that. You've missed it. You've missed it all. The revival that broke out in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and beyond, you're not a part of any of that. And so you've missed it all. So what am I saying? So please listen, how someone responds to Jesus' call to be his disciple and make disciples, how somebody responds to that is what connects you to the greatest blessing of God's kingdom. That is how you experience the blessing of God's kingdom. See, through faith in the gospel, Jesus has deposited tremendous blessing in your life. If you've walked with God, you know that. There are incredible blessings, incredible resources. In fact, everything I have in my life, I told that to my wife uh, recently, everything I have in my life is from God. 
He literally, I can't point to a single thing in my life that God did not directly give, it, give to me as I walked with him. So you have incredible blessings and resources in your life because you've come to faith in Christ. You did not earn them. They are simply yours through repentance and faith in Christ. It's kind of like buying a house and you move in and then suddenly you realize in your backyard there is a vast reservoir of oil. You didn't put that there. It's just there. You just happen to, to own it now by simply accepting this house. Well, being disciples and making disciples is the process that taps that reservoir. That's how you begin to tap all the things that are in your life that God has deposited. So what am I saying? To have Christianity without discipleship would be the greatest missed opportunity in the world. You are just on the surface, and you are forever on the surface. You are never tapping into what is really there that God has put into your life. You know, I've shared this before, so if you've heard it, then just be quiet and sit there. <laughs> but it's kind of like being single and meeting somebody at the park, this amazing person, and this person could be a potential spouse. You know what I'm talking about. That special someone. And so you meet this somebody on that special day, and you hit it off. There is chemistry. You start talking. The time is flying by. And then at the end of that talk, you get that person's phone number. Oh, my gosh, I got the number, right? And then you go home, and for whatever reason, you put it in your desk, close the drawer, and you never call that person. You never, ever call that person. So imagine all the possibilities that you could have had, all the blessings, all the life-changing experiences that could have been yours with this special person. You never seized it. You just passed up this incredible opportunity. In fact, an opportunity of a lifetime. So why am I saying this? That is Christianity without discipleship. That is exactly what it is. You have met the living God. You've accepted him. You got the phone number. And then you put it in your desk, close the door, <laughs> drawer, and I don't know. I'm on to the next thing. You have missed it, brothers and sisters. And that has to be experienced. you got to feel that. you got to feel that pain. You have missed it. Because unless you see being Jesus' disciple and making disciple, disciples as the greatest opportunity in your life, you won't do it. You will not do it. You are not convicted for it. You are just living your life, and you're just a Christian. I'm just a Christian, but I'm doing my own thing. So nobody, nobody in their right mind would pass up a greater opportunity for a lesser one. Okay, I know, I don't know you actually, many of you I don't know, but I already know you. <laughs> that is how you live your life. Every single day you wake up and you're trying to get a greater opportunity and trade it for the lesser one. Every day you're trying to do that. Whether it's school, at work, whatever, buying a car, you know, shopping for a new home. You are always trying to get greater opportunities in order to trade in your lesser one. And yet when it comes to your spiritual life, why do we not do that? Why do we not do that? We are consistently leaving the greatest opportunity on the table. In fact, you close it, and then you take the lesser one again and again and again by not being Jesus' disciple. So when Peter, James, and John heard Jesus' call to follow him, you think about it. They were businessmen. They were successful, and then he had something about it. They said, you know what? We're just going to put down our nets. That represented their livelihood. That represented their family business, right? Everything. And they walked and followed Jesus. Why? Because something about it, they thought in their minds, you know what, we're going to pass up this lesser opportunity for the greater one. Okay, that's discipleship. That is discipleship. You are putting down the lesser opportunity and grabbing the greater one, and that is being a disciple. So if they did that, what about you? Okay, what about you? They, in fact, gave up their lives for this great opportunity. So that is the first reason. Christianity without discipleship would, the, would be the greatest misopportunity. Okay, here's a second reason. Christianity without discipleship leaves us open to be discipled by anyone and anything. Okay, Christianity without discipleship will leave you open to being discipled by anyone or anything. Look at Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So right there, be conformed to the world. Being conformed to the world, that can also be translated being shaped by this world. That's another translation. And notice how the verb there is passive, right? It's not active. This isn't something you're doing. It's something that's being done to you, right? Passive. 
So in other words, all of us at all times are being discipled. You're being shaped. You're being molded. You're being conformed by something or someone in the world. And we don't realize that. We think, oh yeah, discipleship is not for me. Well, let me give you a tip here. You're already being discipled. You're already engaged in it. There are no exceptions. All of us at all times are being discipled by someone or something. And if you are not being discipled by Christ, who only has your highest good in mind, then you right now are being discipled by someone or something else that does not have your highest good in mind. That is guaranteed. If you are being discipled by television, the media, Twitter, politics, the government, what is going on in the world right now, maybe a group of friends you're a part of, I mean, you name it, right? If you're being discipled by anything other than Christ, you're being discipled by something that is not that has something lesser in mind for you. And, and oftentimes it's something that will do great harm. So who is discipling you? Okay, who is discipling you? We've all known people we value and respect, and they've taught us their values, right? They've taught us their way of life. Maybe it was direct, maybe it was indirect. But we've seen that. But I've heard, I've actually seen Christian men spending hours playing video games with their sons, showing them higher and higher levels of gaming. And yet, they hardly think, the thought hardly crosses their mind to show them higher and higher levels of biblical knowledge, right? Or walking with Christ. And sometimes I'm there as well, so I'm not, <laughs> I, I play video games with my kids too. But, but I've seen that. And that parent, if you were to go to that man and ask him, you know, do you, are you discipling your children? Then he would probably say, yeah, you know, you're right, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not really discipling them. But he is, though. He really is, just not in the way of Christ. Why? Because we're all being discipled by something. So you are being shaped and conformed by something. You know, just the other day, my wife and I, we were totally shocked by one of our children because he got into a fight with his sibling, and then he just blurted out, right? He called his sibling a word. And we're like, <gasps> we're, so, we're so shocked. But it wasn't that bad. I'm not going to say it, but it wasn't that bad. But I was like, chill. Where in the world did he learn that, right? And Jill's like, uh, television, <laughs> right? Internet, I don't know. And in that moment, I realized my child is being discipled. My child is being discipled by something, okay? And, and it's not always me. It's not always my wife. And so this is what's happening. So the problem is not the lack of discipleship. Discipleship simply means being a student or a learner of a certain way of life. That's all it means. So the problem is never the lack of it. Discipleship is always happening at all times with all people. Again, all of us right now are being discipled by someone in something. Then what's the problem? It's not the lack of discipleship. It's who's discipling you. It's what's discipling you. And again, if it's anyone or anything other than Christ, your life is on sand. That's exactly what Jesus said. Those are the only options. You will either be discipled by me and have your life on the rock, or you're being discipled by something else and you're going to be on the sand. Matthew 7. And in fact, that sand is sinking sand. The moment storms come, trouble hits your life, you cannot stand. And it's going to be evident to everyone. So Christianity without discipleship leaves us wide open to being discipled by something else that does not have your highest good in mind. Third, the cost of non-discipleship is far greater than the cost of discipleship. Does discipleship have a cost? Absolutely. But the cost of non-discipleship is far greater. Look at Luke 9, 23. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So here, Jesus is so clear. Discipleship has a cost, right? He just said it. He calls it losing your life. That's what it'll cost you. You're going to have to lose your life. And what that means is not so much losing your physical life. He means your way of life right now. You've got to give that up. It's going to require losing your current way of life. So that means discipleship will cost you control over your life. It'll cost you your freedom. Yes, it will. You know what discipleship kind of looks like? It's kind of like a triangle. You know, when you weren't a Christian at the very bottom or a believer, at the very bottom of that uh, triangle is a lot of latitude. You could do whatever you want. You can come to church. You could not come to church. You can study the Bible. You could not. You could, you could do whatever you want. You could sin. You could not sin. You know, who cares, right? I'm just living my life. But once you meet Christ, now you're going up this triangle, and then what you're going to realize is as you follow Christ, you have less and less latitude, right? Less and less option in your life. Why? 
Because the single purpose of a disciple is I want my life to conform to Jesus' life. And Jesus lived in a very, very focused, narrow way. So my life is becoming like this. There's less and less latitude. In fact, Jesus demonstrated it. But when he was on the cross, where was he? He was at the very tip, the point of the triangle. He had no more options. He had no more freedom. That was the height of his discipleship to God the Father. Right? He was at the very tip of that triangle. And me as a pastor or just even as a Christian walking with God for the last 25, 30 years, I've, I've experienced that. You start losing a lot of freedoms. So that is the cause of discipleship. I remember one pastor even sharing one time, he came to my old church uh, in L.A., my previous church. But I remember him sharing the story of how God spoke to him one time when he was gardening in his backyard. and He was really into it and he was like building things and like, you know, making more. And, and then suddenly God said, I want you to give this up. <laughs> And he was convicted right in that moment to never touch gardening again. Like, what's wrong with gardening? Nothing's wrong. Then why can't he do it? Because it was consuming way too much time and taking him away from serving God. So God said, give it up. See, he's going up that triangle. So anyway, that's the cost of discipleship. It will cost you your freedom, control over your life. It's going to bring new burdens into your life that you didn't have before. See, a lot of non-Christians, they're carefree. They're just living their lives in sin, and then they're going to be judged for it. But for the believer, the disciple, yeah, there are new burdens. People are going to start persecuting you. They're going to not accept you in certain ways. And Jesus calls this a cross. But please hear me. But the cost of non-discipleship is even greater. Look at Luke 9.24. Jesus said, yes, discipleship has a cost. But here's the cost of non-discipleship. Whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever will try to save his life will ultimately lose it. And that's not the kind of life losing of losing your freedom. This is talking about eternity away from God. You will lose it. So what are those other costs compared to the cost of losing your life, right, eternally? It doesn't compare. So the cost of non-discipleship is far greater than the cost of discipleship. I'm not saying you're saved by works. I'm not saying you're saved by doing whatever disciples do. I'm just merely saying you are saved by faith, you're saved by grace, but if you never enter into this life of being a disciple, you're truly not saved. If that never shows up in your life, you are not saved. You will ultimately lose your life eternally. And while you're here on earth, there's a lot of other things you're going to deal with, a lot of other things. And some of these costs are glaring, like sex addiction, drug addiction, alcoholism. These are all costs of non-discipleship. Even Christians who are Christians, but they're not disciples, these are things they deal with. Families being torn apart because people committed adultery, and I am shocked. I went to this one conference one time with a bunch of Christian men, and we sat there listening to people giving testimonies, and all these big grown men were like crying and and just emotional in front of everyone. Why? Because they were sharing of how they cheated on their wives. It was like Christian man after Christian man. I mean, I counted like eight or ten of them, like a lot of them. It's like, wow, you too? You too? Like everyone's cheating on their wife in this room. Almost, almost. <laughs> it's like, wow. It's like, it's like that is the cost of non-discipleship. So some are glaring. Others are more subtle. A bitter, lonely heart. Cut off from community. I don't want to see people. Well, why, why is that? Well, there's something wrong in your heart. You're bitter. You don't want to be around people. That is a cost of non-discipleship. Living in constant fear, constant anxiety. I'm so worried about everything, right? My telephone bill, my cell phone bill next month. Okay, my friend who hasn't returned my text. Why haven't they returned my... I mean, every little thing is you're just anxious and anxious and anxious. Why? Because of non-discipleship. These are all the cause. So this means if you're struggling with habitual sin, and we all do, right? We all fall here and there. But if you are in the grip of it, I'm talking about you cannot be free. And you know you're not free because if you want to stop, you can't. The moment someone says, you know, you need to give that up, and you're like, gosh, I can't. You are not a free person. That is a cause of non-discipleship. If you're struggling with apathy towards God, it's like, I don't care about God. I'm a Christian, but I really just don't care. And I'm only here at church because my friend forced me, right? Well, that is a cause of non-discipleship, that you have no relationship with God. If you're struggling with sharing the gospel with loved ones, you know your, your, your brother or your parent or your uncle needs to hear the gospel, but you just can't get yourself to do it. Why? That is a cause of non-discipleship. If you're struggling with low self-worth, you just can't move forward in many areas in your life. That is a cause of non-discipleship. So you get what I'm saying. 
You're blinded with pride, and because of that, you're hurting your relationship. That is a cause of non-discipleship. And please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying discipleship is like the silver bullet that will heal all your problems and take care of everything. No. There are a variety of reasons why you got into that mess, and there are a variety of things that will get you out of it. But what I'm saying is discipleship has been the way God has brought transforming power of the gospel into his people again and again and again. That's how transformation happens. And why is that? It's because discipleship brings you into union with Christ. See, Jesus is the only one who can solve your problems. Amen? You know, I love this quote by Dallas Willard, but he said Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. I should say he is. He's still alive. Jesus is the smartest man who ever lived. See, we don't think about that sometimes. But he already knows the answer to all your problems right now, in this moment. He already knows. It's very easy to him. It's not a mystery. He knows immediately what you need to do to solve all your problems. And he's got the power, his words, his life, his impact. Upon millions and billions of people throughout human history have testified to this. But he is the smartest man who has ever lived, and he knows immediately what your uh, problem is and the solution to that. And not only that, but he's got the power, he's got the resources. His life will be poured into every person's life who comes to him and submits themselves to him. So that is available to every single person. And yet, it'll only be lived out and experienced if you're a disciple. Right? You've got to be his disciple. So you can't afford not to be. The cost of non-discipleship is far greater than the cost of discipleship. Okay, number four. Christianity without discipleship is disobedience to Jesus' final command to the church. And now this is getting to just straight up, we're disobeying him. So Jesus commanded a lot of things before his death, right? So if you were to read the Gospels, you know he talked a lot about a lot of different things. So for example, he commanded his disciples love one another. He commanded them to pray. He commanded them don't be anxious about anything. He commanded them to be holy like my heavenly father. Father in heaven is holy. He commanded them to love their neighbor, love God with everything you have. So he commanded them to do a lot of things, but please hear this. There's only one thing he commanded his disciples to do after he died and rose again. And what is that? I think you guys already know. <laughs> Go and make disciples. So, so, so look at the premium place he gave to the Great Commission. And yet, based on the activity of the church today, you might have the wrong idea that Jesus commanded his disciples after he died and rose again, go and build huge facilities, right? Go and have huge worship conferences. Gather thousands of people into a dark stadium and fill it with smoke and a lot of, a lot of music. You know, build large institutions of higher learning. Pass out tons of degrees. Go and solve this poverty issue on the earth. Go stop abortion from happening. And again, are those things very important and necessary? Yes. Some of those things are even fruits of true gospel ministry. And yet, I go back, after he rose, died and rose again, he only commanded the church to do one thing. He actually didn't say to do any of those things. He only said do one thing. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. Do you see that? That, that has a premium spot in Jesus' ministry. Only one command after he died and rose again, right before he left. So this came with the greatest authority, the greatest scope, and the greatest promise. So go back to those verses. Look at how Jesus repeated the word all. You see this word coming up repeatedly. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore go and make disciples of what? All nations. Look at the scope. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey what? All I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you, when? Always to the very end of the age. So repeatedly, he is saying all. If you look at the NIV, you'll see that. I don't think the ESV. But all, all, all. So you see that. Jesus made it so clear. This is my final command to you. This is the only command to you after I died and rose again. It has a premium place in his ministry. So what am I saying? The disciples... The early disciples would not dare disobey it. They would not dare disobey it. And yet now fast forward 2,000 years, and the church is doing everything but that. Right? Everything but that. So that's number four. Christianity without discipleship is disobedience to Jesus' 
premier command. And then five, this is the last one. Christianity without discipleship is not really the Christian life at all. It's not really the Christian life at all. So in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us what are inadequate evidences of saving faith and what are true evidences of saving faith. Okay, this is the great sermon he gave on the Mount. But he made it very clear. Okay, who, who are true believers who are not true believers? What are true evidences? What are false evidences? He made it very clear. And this is what he said, Matthew 7, 21, 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So look at these people. Okay, we just kind of skim over that, but look at who Jesus is talking about. There are people here alive right now who have done these things or doing these things. They call Jesus Lord, number one. Okay, they cast out demons. They prophesy in Jesus' name. They do mighty works in his name. So they're doing all these things. Okay, what, what are we looking at? They have correct theology. They have passionate spirituality. They're saying, Lord, Lord. They don't just say Lord, but they're Lord, Lord. I'm passionate about who you are, Jesus. That's emphasized. And they have powerful ministry. They are serving. They are casting out demons. They're doing a lot of things. Now, suppose this person suddenly gets into a car accident and dies. Would you assume that person was saved? Would you say this person is in heaven? You're going to see them in heaven? Probably, right? Most of us would say, would say yeah. But then why does Jesus say a little later, many people like that will not enter the kingdom of heaven? Okay, why, why did he say that? Okay, why are correct theology, passionate spirituality, powerful ministry, why are they inadequate proofs of salvation? Why, why, why is it that you can have all these things and yet Jesus will say, I never knew you. Okay, who are you? Okay, leave, depart. Okay, here's the reason why. It's because all three of these things can be done without any true regard for God. That's why. In fact, even today's secular culture admires all of these things. Okay? This is what draws them to religion. Did you know that the world doesn't hate religion? The world actually loves religion. That's why there are so many religions around the world. But the world loves religion, and these are the things that the world loves about religion. Now, I remember Tim Keller making this very point, but he said modern people want religion to be intellectually stimulating, emotionally engaging, and socially redeeming, just like these deceived people but they don't want to give up their independence. See, they love religion. Oh, I love religion. I love studying theology and studying these sacred texts and blowing the dust off and hearing the pages ruffle, right? I mean, they, they love all this stuff. Let's build schools to study these things. Let's do these good works. And they love all these things, right? They love being passionate, devoted to a cause, and yet it's all on their own terms. They don't want to give up their own independence. So what this means is a person can have correct theology, passionate spirituality, powerful ministry. They can even do it in Jesus' name, and yet it's all on their own terms. And Jesus will say to those people, I never knew you. Who are you? Depart from me, you workers of what? Lawlessness. You don't do what I command. You don't obey my word. You just do whatever you want. And you call it religion, and you call it Christianity. You just do whatever you want. So what are the true evidences of salvation? Jesus only mentions two in this passage. Okay, please pay attention. There are only two genuine marks of a true believer. Number one, verse 21, doing the will of God the Father. How do you know you're a true believer? You actually want to do God's will. How do you know God's will? It's in the Bible. You actually care about what God says, and you actually want to do it. And you're going to fall, and you're going to fail, and you're going to repent, get back up, and you want to do it again. But you want to do God's will. Number two, look at verse 23. You know Jesus' the son in an intimate relationship. You have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. You know him as a friend. You know him as an actual person in your life who walks with you, talks to you. And that is it. Those are the two evidences of true salvation in a person's life. Do you want to do the will of God the Father? Do you have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you have those things, then you are saved. That is what Jesus said. And so how does this connect to discipleship? True discipleship is where these two evidences blossom in a person's life. Do you see that? This is how it grows in a person's life. Why? Because the very nature of discipleship is what? Denying yourself and taking up your cross daily. What is that? Luke 9.23. Okay, what is that? That's you saying, God, 
I want to do this today, but I'm going to de deny myself and do your will instead, right? You're up late at night and you're on your computer. Oh, God, I want to do this right now, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do your will instead. Do you see that? That's discipleship. And the very context of discipleship is what? Okay, how are you a disciple? How are you following Jesus and learning from him and walking with him in an intimate relationship? And so a disciple has that intimate relationship with Jesus. Are you doing all these other religious activities? Maybe, but maybe you're not. But you have this intimate relationship with Christ. And you're just doing whatever he wants you to do that day. What is that? That's discipleship. So while other religious activities might produce these evidences, they might not, right? Okay, you might have spiritual gifts in your life. You might feed the poor, the hungry. You might learn a lot of theology. But it doesn't guarantee these evidences, right? But discipleship does. Discipleship does. That's why Christianity without discipleship is really not the Christian life at all. It's really not the Christian life. So these are five good reasons why we must engage in discipleship. Why we must engage in disciple making. And so my prayer is that God's going to stir that desire up in our hearts. And next week we're going to look more at what it actually is and how we're going to do it at our church. But these are great reasons, powerful reasons why we must do it. And I'm going to end with this, but I wanted to um, close by sharing a testimony of a man who went from being a drug dealer to a pastor to now being a fruitful disciple maker in the U.S. and now even beyond the borders of the U.S. He's actually having this growing ministry. And it's basically the man who wrote this book, but Jill, uh, she started reading this book first, and then she introduced me to it, and so I started reading it, but it's called Growing Up by Robbie Galati. But... This man has a lot of solid teaching in this book. I've been really encouraged by it, even inspirational teaching on discipleship. But you know what encouraged me the most about this book? is his testimony. His testimony just is, is crazy. But basically, he's just a normal guy. He's very gifted athletically. He's a very big guy. He's like 6'6", 290 pounds. So he was getting into spores, and he was going to go far in that. But then he decided to go into business, started, started some businesses, and then one day he got into a terrible car accident. And because of that accident, he damaged his spine, he went to the doctor, and he got prescribed some powerful painkillers. And because of those painkillers, he became addicted to those painkillers. And then in order to keep getting more of those pills, he turned to a life of dealing drugs. And so he made a horrible mistake. And since, so then soon he started selling these drugs um, to different people he knew. He started abusing these drugs. He got into much harder things like heroin, cocaine, marijuana, all these other things. He eventually saw several of his acquaintances actually overdose and die from these drugs. And so he hit rock bottom, right? He's seeing his friends die. I mean, he is on the verge of death. I mean, he hit rock bottom. He was broke. He was destitute. He had nowhere to go. And then his family stepped in finally, and they sent him into rehab. And then he did better. But then later, long story short, he relapsed again, right? So that happens so often. But he relapsed again. He fell into drug addiction again. He hit rock bottom again. And then he got checked into rehab again for the second time. And so it looked like he could not get off this cycle, this crazy merry-go-round, right? He was stuck. Except the second time around, God had mercy, and he met this Christian man who shared the gospel. And so he heard the gospel for the first time. He accepted Christ, and then God powerfully met him. And immediately in that moment, he decided, I want to be a pastor. But he didn't know what to do, right? I mean, he's just coming out of rehab. I mean, he's just breaking away from this life. He didn't know what to do. And then a friend told him at that time, why don't you pray for a discipler? You need a discipler. So he said, okay. And so he prayed. And then soon, some events led him to this church in New Orleans. He went to that church. And then soon, this was God's sovereignty. He met David Platt. Some of you guys know who he is. David Platt's a well-known pastor in America. But, but he met Platt, who decided to do discipleship with him, and they began to meet week after week for months, right? Almost half a year. And then right after that, another man entered his life, a very godly man who's doing many things around the world, and he also discipled him. And then another man came, discipled him. And then another man came. So a string of men entered his life and discipled him. And so then he eventually ended up in seminary, became a pastor, started pastoring a thriving church, and then eventually he dedicated his life. Because of his own story, he dedicated his life to making disciples. That's what I'm about. Yes, I pastor. Yes, I do a lot of things, but I'm about making disciples and encouraging the church abroad to make disciples. Okay, that's his ministry. Okay, he wrote this book too. 
But listen to him. This is what he said. But he said, I believe with all my heart that we will see a reformation of the 21st century when the church returns to disciple making. He's like, this, this world is screwed up. See, the church is messed up. But we're going to see a reformation in the 21st century. When? When the church gets back to disciple making and stops all this nonsense of all this other stuff. Amen? So this is the power of discipleship. So let's just come before the Lord right now. We're going to pray. But Father God, we just give you all the glory, Father. And Lord, I confess, Lord, and I'm convicted in my own heart that, Lord, I do drift from the one thing you commanded us to do. There are times and there are seasons when I forget that there is just one thing you told us to do before you went up to heaven. Go and make disciples of all nations. And implied in that command is also be my disciple. You've got to first be my disciple and then go make disciples. And so, Lord God, please, please help us, Father. Please help us, Jesus. You said you would. I will be with you always until the very end of this age when I come back. I will be with you. So, Lord God, thank you. Thank you for that promise, and thank you for making it so simple and so clear, and yet somehow we still manage to screw it up. We forget that in our Christian lives, there's actually something that we need to be doing. We need to be disciples and make disciples. So, Lord God, thank you so much um, for this call. Thank you that you're calling our church. We've, we've been doing this, Lord, and we've always known this is our mission. But, Lord God, please, more than ever before in 2022, please make this the beating heart of our church, that we will go and make disciples of all nations. Through the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of the word of God, and the power of your spirit. Baptizing. Teaching. That we would go and make disciples of all nations. Please, Lord God. And it just begins with the desire, Lord. I know many of us, we've heard this before, but to be honest, we don't have much desire for it. But I pray that you will give us desire. Please, Lord God. So, Lord God, we thank you. Father God, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. So let's just come before the Lord as we do every Sunday. We just want to respond to his word. But thank you, Lord God, for calling us to be your disciples.